two months after I started working here at the bridge, a man stopped by to see me about starting to attend. His name is Freddie Nukurunziza. A lot of you probably know Freddie. He worships here with his family. Uh, Freddie is a uh, refugee from the Congo. He was born there and he had to flee due to violence. He uh, joins us on the worship team sometimes. His uh, son, uh, Declan, was baptized here. Uh, Freddie and Soleil and their family are, are a, a wonderful, vibrant part of our church. And uh, and I know that I've even talked about him up here before, but he came to see me two months in about coming to the church. Uh, and after I got to know Freddie a little bit, he said, hey, I, I actually lead uh, this group called Gizubizo, uh, and it's kind of a ministry and singing group uh, that started in the Congo, but now has uh, kind of like chapters all over the United States and really all over the world. And uh, he said, could we do like a concert, a Gizubizo concert at the bridge? I said, absolutely. So, uh, over time, Gizubizo has done three or four concerts and then a, a really large multi-day conference here at the bridge. And uh, every time it happens, they invite me and then they, I'm, I'm like one of maybe two, three white people in the room, uh, and they always translate everything for me. Uh, and they always invite me to speak, and I always feel like, I feel like bad speaking, you know, because I'm not as interesting as what you guys have going on anyway, but I do it. Uh, and I always feel very included. And it's as uh, the passage that Pam read this morning. Um, I worship with them even though I don't understand the words. I never, I mean, they don't sing in English. And yet, I can't help but get caught up in the worship with them. And, and Gizubizo has become kind of one of my favorite parts about pastoring this church. It gives me a lot of joy uh, that we are able to connect with them. So uh, that's what that passage reminds me of. So this morning we're starting a new sermon series called, well, uh, The Kingdom of God. It's about the Kingdom of God. It's called The Kingdom of God. Uh, and we started this to coincide with the Saturday night service that Pastor Sarah Gregory has started at the Merida Tribe campus. Um, we are going to launch at some unknown date in the future, a Saturday night service here at the bridge. Uh, we were going to be doing that the second week of September. Uh, and then, you know, we had a pandemic. I don't know if you heard about that, uh, but that happened. And now the plans are just kind of in flux. I want you to know that it's coming. Uh, and when it is happening, we will definitely let you know the date, uh, but that's not been forgotten about. But Sarah's service started this weekend. Uh, at Meredith Drive, and we said, hey, Sarah, to get started, why don't you choose a sermon series you'd like to preach? Usually Pastor Gary, Pastor Suzanne, and I kind of do that work. We said, Sarah, why don't you choose? And she said, I want to talk about the kingdom of God. And for me, I was excited because I love talking about the kingdom of God. I love talking about it mostly in very concrete kind of ways. I like to contrast the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of this world. If you've been worshiping with us for any amount of time, you've heard me and this theme over and over. In fact, some people might have heard it too much, and you're thinking, could we do something else, please? But this is something you hear uh, in my preaching. I love talking about it. I love pointing out the ways that our life as citizens of the kingdom of God makes us different from the world around us. And I'm excited for this series because I think the idea of the kingdom of God has huge implications for the way we live every single part of our lives. Every aspect of our lives is impacted by our identity as kingdom people. It shapes us and it, it puts us sometimes at odds with the culture around us and it has huge implications uh, for what we're all about. So I'm excited, and then Sarah sends the passages. She says, these are the passages we're going to preach about the kingdom of God. And I'm excited, I'm psyched up, I'm ready to rumble. You know, I'm like, I get my screaming voice ready a little bit. You know, you guys like that, I'm sure. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I get the passage for today, 
And, uh, and it took the wind out of my sails a little bit, okay? It took the wind out of my sails because it's not Jesus flipping tables. I can preach that. It's not Jesus calling Pharisees whitewashed tombs. I can preach that. It's not even Paul, like, getting really mad at one of the churches for not living as their identity as uh, people of the citizens, citizens of the kingdom of God. It's not any of that. The passage for today is a, pastor, a passage that pastors generally reserve for use at funerals. It's a funeral passage. They're words of hope for the future, certainly, but not really the type of passage that I feel like I can get real amped up about in the present tense, right? I can't, if I'm preaching about flipping tables, man, I might actually flip a table. But a funeral, you don't really do that kind of stuff. Uh, And so I got this passage and I was a little like, what are we going to do with this? Um, To me, Revelation 21, 1 through 5 is a teaching about heaven. It's not a teaching in my mind about how to live as citizens of the kingdom of God right now. Uh, The sermon title for today is already and not yet. The kingdom of God is already and not yet. And what does that reality mean? And as I read this passage, I think this is all about the someday kingdom. This is about the not yet kingdom. How does this impact us for the already? But I sat with it, and uh, I did what I usually do when I get confused about a sermon. I called Pastor Gary because he always has a different perspective than me. And in that conversation and talking to him, some things kind of shook loose. And I think I started to see maybe a little bit fuller picture. And maybe, just maybe, it's a picture now that you'll be invited into seeing as well today. So let's look at it. Revelation chapter 21. We'll read verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Last Sunday night, I don't know, maybe some of you uh, were here for this, we had a special service for students that have gone through what we call profession of faith Uh, If you've been here for a long time, it used to be called Confirmation, now it's called Profession of Faith. But usually we have part of a Sunday morning service uh, where we honor the students, but we, because of, uh, you know, the craziness of the world, we decided to do a special service on Sunday night for just the families of these kids and these kids and their mentors. Uh, We had uh, people all set out here at tables, and uh, we had all of their mentors, part of the profession program is you have a a mentor in the church, and we had their mentors kind of up here along the balcony, and it was very much like Hebrews chapter 12, where it says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? And as I stood here, I thought, man, here they are, the the cloud of witnesses for these kids. And there was a liturgy read that night, written by Pastor Gary, because that's what Pastor Gary does, and this was one of the lines. Tonight, 
we mark an important step in your journey of faith. That's what this is, a step in your faith journey, a journey that will continue to twist and turn for the rest of your life here on earth and for all eternity. Maybe it's silly to talk about eternity with a bunch of middle school students. They think that I'm old, okay? They have no concept of time if they think I'm old. Talking about eternity with a group of middle school students, what is that, you know, can they even understand that? It might be a little bit silly, but the line struck me and the service struck me as a special moment for these students and for these families. There was something at work in the service, something beautiful that, that was hard to describe, something that if you tried to touch it, it would probably just disappear. There was something at work in that service. And afterwards, I was talking to one of our elders, and he said to me that he could feel the Spirit filling the building during the service. And I said, yeah, that's, that's about the only way that I think I could probably describe how I felt as well. There was just a sense that the Spirit was here. It was a very special service and a very special gift for everyone who was involved. So our passage today is about a future reality. Revelation 21 is about a future reality. It's full of symbolism and weird language. What does it mean that the sea is dried up? I'm not here to do a study in Revelation, uh, but we read it and we think this is a little strange. We understand it and we don't understand it at the same time. We have a push-pull. But we know deep down this is about something in the future. Maybe it's okay to not understand because everything will make sense when this time comes. It's talking about a future reality. The moment where heaven meets earth and everything is brought under the reign of God. The moment where at all the times we've ever prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This moment, Revelation 21, describes that. That moment when all of those prayers spoken through all of church history will be answered and will find their answer in the fullest. That's what this passage is. This passage represents our ultimate hope as followers of Jesus. And that's the reason that we read it at funerals. That's the reason that this is a funeral passage, because it represents ultimate hope even in the face of a lot of uncertainty. We believe that when we lose someone here on earth that we will see them again on that day when all tears are dried and wiped away and death and mourning are brought to an end. This passage represents the end of the current age and the beginning of the eternal age, the point where the kingdom of God is no longer somehow both current and future, but the moment where the kingdom of God becomes the eternal now. That's where our hope is found, when we will be reunited with the cloud of witnesses, with those that we love who are lost in the faith. And those are really big ideas. They're really too big to comprehend. The word that I kept coming back to was ineffable, and ineffable means something which there are no words that could possibly describe. It's weird that we have a word that means words can't describe this, but that's what this reality is, this future situation. It's too big to comprehend. It's too big to imagine. It's too great of a moment to really understand. We read a passage like this, and we feel like we might kind of understand a little bit of it, but can we really fathom what that day will feel like? The concept is too strange, too esoteric, too outside of the realm of reality for us to grasp. How can people who have only ever experienced a world with death Imagine a world 
where death is no more. How can people who have only ever experienced time imagine a reality outside of time? How can we find hope in a passage like this when what the writer is describing is unimaginable to us? That's my question. This is a passage of hope, but how and why does it bring us hope? I was talking to a friend recently about fear of death. It's a natural thing, I think, to be afraid of death. I think it's probably the most common fear that people have is the fear of death. And it's natural because we don't have any categories of experience to help us understand what comes next. We've never lived anything that is like dying. It is a different, it is wholly other from us. Nothing we've done can prepare us. Nothing we've experienced can make us ready. It's natural to be afraid of something when you have no prior experience that can help you understand how you will experience that thing. We have hope, we have Scripture, but we don't have anything in our lives that prepares us really for death. It's filled with the unknown. And in the course of that very uplifting conversation, as you can imagine, um, I told him that what always surprises me is that when I visit people who are the closest to death, they seem to be the people who are least afraid. I've never found fear in a hospice room. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but in my experience as a pastor, that's not what I find when I visit someone as they near the end. My visits to hospice are constantly surprising to me in that way. The people who are nearest to death seem to have the least fear about it. The people who are closest to it have the most peace going in. So in our passage today, God declares that He is making everything new, that the kingdom of God fully embracing earth will create a reality where there's no death, no mourning, no tears. And when I sit with a follower of Jesus in their final moments, they are closer to that reality than they've ever been before in their life. When I sit with them and they know that they're terminal, they know that the end is near, they're closer to that moment than they've ever been before. They're standing at the threshold of that reality, of the kingdom of God, of ultimate consummation of heaven and earth. They're standing in that threshold and they're experiencing something they've never experienced before. At that threshold, what they find and what they experience is hope. Like light coming through the curtains in the morning, the kingdom of God catches us off guard. It catches us when we're sleeping. And then, without warning, the newness of morning bursts in, and for just a moment, we see it. We catch a glimpse of it. In a moment of newness, a moment of God dwelling with us, it catches us in the sacredness of baptism. It catches us in the sacredness of students professing their faith out loud, maybe for the first time. It catches us as we worship along with refugees singing in a foreign dialect. It catches us at the moments closest to death, the moment that our imagination rises up to meet our reality. 
What does it mean that the kingdom of God is already and not yet? It means at least that we catch glimpses of eternity here and now. It means at least that the unimaginable and the ineffable become real to us. The space between heaven and earth goes transparent just for a moment, and the newness catches us off guard, and it takes our breath away. What does it mean that the kingdom is now and not yet is that there are moments in time and spaces where we see it. The kingdom of heaven, that future day of Revelation 21, breaking into the now. That's where our ultimate hope comes from. It can't come from charts and graphs and timelines describing the what, where, and how of heaven. Our future hope can't find itself in those concrete types of things that we try to calculate and tell ourselves about heaven and about God. Our hope can't come from that because those things are trying to describe that which is indescribable. Those things are trying to capture a feeling and a moment that we can't possibly imagine until that ultimate consummation. Our hope comes from the briefest glances and the softest touches between God and us, between heaven and earth. These moments cannot be timed, and they cannot be bottled, but they can be missed. We can miss these moments. When we get so caught up in the day-to-day, the concrete, the things that feel real to us, we can miss the glimpses of the kingdom that shape our hope and shape our imagination. And so maybe the call in this sermon that launches the sermon series is just let's pay attention. Let's attend to the reality that the kingdom of God has begun breaking in even in the here and now. Let's attend and pay attention to the reality that we can experience a little bit of heaven right now on earth. Jesus started his ministry by saying, The kingdom of God has drawn near. If we think about it spatially, maybe that helped, right? It's as though they were apart, and now they're just right there. And then Jesus said it's like a mustard seed. And then Jesus said it belongs to the children. And then Jesus said it's like a pearl uh, that you find buried in a field. What does all that mean? It means that we can miss it if we don't pay attention. We can miss it if we get so caught up in the real and so caught up in the concrete and so caught up in our day-to-day. We can miss it if uh, we, uh, this is a personal thing, if we mediate all of our experiences through the lens of our phone camera. We can miss it. We can miss these moments where the kingdom of God comes to meet us right now. Let's this week and let's, as the series goes on, be attentive to those places and spaces where the kingdom of God has come near, where we can taste and see the goodness of God and the goodness of heaven even in the right now. Let's be attentive to those places. Let's pray. God, I, I, I am sorry that I go too fast. God, I'm sorry that I get too loud. 
I'm sorry that if given the opportunity to see a moment where the kingdom of God is broken through or an opportunity to see the latest uh, video, I, I might take the video, God. This morning, I pray that we would be attentive that as strange as it sounds and as inconceivable as it might be, God, as ineffable as the words to describe the feeling are, God, I pray that we would still be attentive, that we would still believe because, God, when we see it, when we see that moment, where the space gets thin and the kingdom of God breaks into the now, God, what it does is it fills us with hope and holy anticipation that what you said is true, what you're doing is real, God. And in those moments, Revelation 21 doesn't have to be something that we only use at funerals when we're feeling sad and need a little pick-me-up, God. When we're attentive, can we live Revelation 21 every day? Can we see how you are making all things new? Can we see, God, how you in so many ways already dwell among us? Give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts, God, that are soft and tender and open to those moments. Thank you for hope, God. Thank you for your love, God. And please accept our love back as an offering to you. We pray all these things this morning in your name.